Please listen carefully. Did you hurt your titty? Yeah, my tit hurts real bad. I don't know why. Is it the titty or the heart? Are you sad? What's up, sisters? Welcome back to another episode of Everyone and Their Sister. My name is Christina. I'm Natasha. And I'm Stephanie. And on this lovely, we are recording on a Friday afternoon. We've had a big blowout. There's been fights. The tension was in the air, but we, f- we cleared it out. Uh, I'm allowed to be annoyed that I'm somehow always the mom when I am uh, the least likely to have children. Okay? It's rude and offensive. I love where this is gone. All to introduce a concept for this episode that has nothing to do with any of the things that we've just Actually, talked no. about. <laughs> when you say having a kid is remaking yourself. <laughs> what an intro. What an excellent pivot. Uh so there we go. This theme of this <laughs> the theme of today's no episode. No one can believe <laughs> I fucking did that so well. <laughs> okay? See, your I debating skills something. Your debating skills are excellent. I don't know why you're ever worried about them. You see? You just got that. You picked it up. I'm hot and bothered. <laughs> Although I would argue Seeing your child as a remake of yourself is, um, I don't very know. Very problematic. Listen, though, this is where we come back to the conversation we had very late into the light- night last night. Is a child a remake or a continuation of the story? Okay, because you're not, you're not necessarily remaking yourself. That You were very specific. It should have the same general characters, but also the same general plot line. And I mean, if your kid has the same plot line that you did, that's problematic. But it happens. People fall in their parents' footsteps. Fuck, we're getting deep today. (laughs) Uh, Guys, life is hard, and today we are talking about remakes. Steph, after all of that- Oh my god, we're going straight into it. Yeah. We're going straight into it. We had so much conversation just there. (laughs) Why wouldn't we? I didn't even look at the time that we started this at. Uh, Okay, I'll go for it. Um, Guys, the time has come. You probably heard me talk about this movie specifically on this podcast. You're, ye- you're already yelling in- into the room that you're in what I'm about to pick. It's Pride and Prejudice from 2005. Of course. <laughs> and then right here is going to be the swell of the Pride and Prejudice music that everyone will know. Thank you for that great soundtrack. Welcome back. Thank you. Uh, I hope yeah, I took you on a magical journey. I don't know if this is the cutest thing I've ever seen <laughs> or the most cringe-worthy, cringe-worthy thing I've ever heard. At what point do we stop and start over? <laughs> I'm just ready to go for it. I love it. Let's keep it all. Okay, I wrote notes for this. I don't usually do that, but then I was like, there's going to be too many things to say. So, Pride and Prejudice 2005, directed by Joe Wright, and if I'm assuming if you've listened to this podcast for probably one or two episodes, you already know what the plot of Pride and Prejudice is about. But any uh, of you newbies, Pride and Prejudice follows the Bennett family, which is a family of five sisters as they try to find their place in the world. So you have Jane, the prettiest, I'm putting air quotes because what does that mean? Elizabeth, the, like, smart, snarky, bookwormish one. The one that, like, is us. You, you're going to view this movie through her. You, you are her. 
Then you have uh, Kitty, who is the wild child. Lydia, who just follows Kitty. And then there's Mary, who I almost forgot, but, but also in the family, people forget about Mary. <sighs> Bless their souls. Okay, so basically, you're going to follow these five women as they try to attain what they are known or what they're told to want, which is marriage. And that prefer- brings us to number one point of why this movie is so great, the casting. So many, so many, so many, so many famous people are in this movie. It's insane. You have Kira Knightley. You have Rosamund Pike. You have uh, Carrie Mulligan. You have Jenna Malone. You have so many random people that you would be like, who the fuck are you getting together in 2005? And now they're extremely famous. Excellent casting. And then you have the lead. This is, the whole movie is about Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy. And this is the OG enemies to lover story. So I'm out of breath. I'm getting too excited. You were just so excited to talk about Pride and Prejudice. When you were like, oh, I've picked Pride and Prejudice, I remember being like, it's impossible that we've gone to 31 episodes and you have never once picked Pride and Prejudice before. Like, there's no way that's possible. And I listened to many episodes to prove that it, in fact, was. I'm shocked at myself, to be honest. Yeah, and same. I, sh- I What really got me was your favorite of all time movie was The Devil Wears Prada. What? That's what you picked. And as I was like wow. listening, I was like... She didn't pick Pride and Prejudice for this? Really? So I'm yeah. shocked at myself. You, three years ago, very different. Who, who am I? Who am I? Okay, back to Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy. It's an enemies to lovers, like I mentioned, but the sexual tension between them is uh, excellent. And that's basically told through hand and eye acting by, done by Mr. Darcy Matthew. And it, it, I, Nat is laughing at me, but if you go on Twitter, you're going to see compilations of literally this guy eye acting out everything. So many slunging stares. So. I just remembered 2006 Tumblr, and it was just like gifs of every scene from Pride and Prejudice on everybody's feed. Because it's so <laughs> And it's all excellent. eye and hand stuff. So, okay, so that's going to bring us to our to my next point, which is you have so many iconic scenes in this goddamn movie. Basically, they want, you know they want to go bone each other, but since it's the 18th century, they can't. And they're telling each other that through their eye gazes across the room. So you have, to start off, you have the first meeting. It's obviously a hate situation. And Mr. Darcy doesn't know what to do with himself because Elizabeth has personality. Shocker. Uh, and then you see her when she puts him down for saying, you know, when one is barely tolerable. I watched this movie literally last weekend and she walks through the dancers towards the camera and you see him all sad. Excellent. Then you have their dance scene where they're dancing together and oh, magically everyone around them disappears and it's just them in a ballroom fucking dancing their hearts out. Romantic. <laughs> Stephanie, when she watched this in 2013, couldn't handle it. And then the pure joy on your face. Right? I know. It's true. I like, I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> Do you think you read all, like, historical romances mostly because you're just hoping for that next Pride and Prejudice eventually? I didn't like Pride and Prejudice, the book, that much. But maybe you're hoping for, like, the movie. <laughs> I mean, correct. I am hoping for the movie. I just watched Sand- Sandington, the TV show, which is excellent. By the way, guess what? Enemies to lovers, same situation. <laughs> They're in a beach town in the 18th century. But anyways, back on topic because number one, the se- like probably the third most important part is when Mr. Darcy puts Elizabeth up into the carriage, and you see, and then you literally have a cut of his hand going like flexing because he's like, holy shit, he can't handle himself. He touched her bare hand. 
And then we're going to skip ahead. There's like fighting. Oh, when they try to make out. Sorry, when he proposes to her in, and it's raining in a gazebo. Excellent. That's all these things that I'm willing to put them aside and ask you to end my agony. I don't understand. I love you. Most ardently. And all these are crystal clear in my mind. These two are looking at me like I'm nuts. <laughs> but whatever. Nothing here is what I didn't expect. You definitely have a joy. I almost didn't anticipate. Like, I'm used to you being very happy when you talk about this. <laughs> this is a brand new level. And then, finally, we're going to wrap it up in a pretty little bow. He's walking. It's the end of the movie. You've, you've been on a ride. Your emotions are high. Will they get together? Will they not get together? Who knows? And then you see him walking in his billowing coat over the moors to her. However, your feelings have changed. I would have to tell you. You have bewitched me, body and soul, and I love, and love, and love you. Oh. <laughs> and then they, and then she kisses his hand, and I'm like, excuse me, this is like a black door romance novel when they finally get down and the scene cuts, but what? It's fine, it's fine. And then brings to the the final ending. There's two alternate endings. One ending ends with Elizabeth running out of her father's office. And then the other end, and then they just make out and love each other. Then you're like, holy shit, is this a perfect movie or, or is it not? It's fine. Um, bas- yeah, basically this was just a gosh fest and why PMP is the best. Why is it the best remake? Because it's the one that's going to, it uh, purposely was marketed towards my millennial soul and it got it all right. So what am I going to say? Oh, uh, and that's why I'm excited for the Bridgerton TV show to come to Netflix I'm ready. My body's ready. Can they drop that trailer? Or are they saving it to 2021? Because I need to know. Hello, I'm waiting. So Pride and Prejudice question. Yes. The Darcy's. Mm-hmm. The movie Darcy versus the Colin Firth Darcy. Thoughts? I like the movie Darcy because he's more awkward. Socially awkward. Mm. And like, he's not, he's not the hottest guy in the room. But you're like, there's something about him. Well, Colin Firth is just too handsome, to be honest with you. For him to have such uh, social anxiety that Mr. Darcy does. Okay, but Colin Firth is like the natural Darcy. He was Darcy like what? Two times? He was Darcy two it, times? It's th- do you, is it three, three if you count oh Bridget Jones' God, Diary? Yeah, yeah, Bridget Jones' Diary is the third time. Yeah. There's just something about it. It's like that girl. Oh, I should know her name because I love her. That every, She just keeps playing the evil stepsister in adaptations of Cinderella. Oh, yeah. Oh the God. blonde one. Yeah. And then they did an interview with her, I think. And she said, I just love being the evil stepsister, but she's actually yeah. really nice in real life. Yeah. And she always has the best costumes because of it. Yeah. What love a, it. That's a girl who has a brand. I'm, yeah. That's impressive. I remember in particular, there was like, I think Tumblr, because it would have been back then. It was like, there's one thing about getting typecast and then there's having a personal brand as a character. And like, <laughs> she has the brand of evil stepsister because she just plays them so well. And she's in Ella Enchanted. She's in the Cinderella adaptation. And I think she's also in Into the Woods. I remember watching this Pride and Prejudice with you on a friend's couch that we were sleeping over at. Mm. At like 2 a.m. we put it in, even <laughs> though it was two and a half hours long. And, like, we just powered fucking through that thing. And we just sat there. And then every so often, because I think you started to fall asleep near the end, but every so often you would wake up like you knew it was coming. And you were like, oh, his coat. Oh, his hand. Oh, those (laughs) looks. It's true, though. 
I specifically remember you. I feel like you shot up out of dead sleep to be like, no, but his coat. Like you, you like, it was wild. You were lying there perfectly calm, perfectly natural. But then all of a sudden your body knew, you knew how long it had been the movie. You knew based on what you were hearing, the coat was coming up and you had to see it, Bella. It was like magical. Probably because. I was going to say, what if there's like, Darcy's coat ASMR out there you could just hear the billowing on repeat well I listen to the soundtrack to go to bed quite often because I love a classical piece you know so probably my self-conscious like you know what this is about you know the title of that song time to get up Uh, it's just so great guys so why don't why 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 aren't there more movies tv shows like this I'm waiting as I mentioned that's what we need. More Pride and Prejudice adaptations. We need more <laughs> Pride and Prejudice adaptation, but we need it like done from Shondaland. That is what we need. And I think that's what we're getting. <laughs> Pumped about it. But, like fucking watch this movie. I don't know what you're waiting for. Also, okay, so this director also had a hard, hard on for her because she's an atonement. What are we just like? I just think Kira Knightley does well at period pieces, and that's it. She had this one line one time that I've always been kind of like mm, about. Like, I don't know if I like it. I think I might actually hold it against her a little bit, and I think it might be because I think I read it around the time, or she said it around the time that she that came out with that horrible fucking Nazi movie. Uh, afterwards, she where was it's in like. This movie? Yeah, she was in afterwards, and it's, I, I don't know if the book is good, but the concept and the way the movie does it is absolutely terrible. It's Nazi Germany after World War II, but, like, immediately afterwards, and, like, showing you a different view of it. And then, like, I'm pretty sure she has an affair with a man who was 1,000% a Nazi. Mm-hmm. It's very weird. But she gave an interview, either around that time or I found it around that time, about talking about how she's always in period pieces. And she basically said something to the effect that, like, they're more feminist than current female characters are because they're allowed to be more outspoken in the kind of feminism that they believe in because of the time that it is. Like it was this very odd, didn't really make sense quote. And it was something to the effect, I think what I really was getting from it is because everything around them is actively trying to keep them down Mm -hmm. in such a visual, obvious way. They seem significantly more feminist than they truly than even they would truly are because you don't have to have that many crazy ideas to be a feminist Mm -hmm. in a time where women couldn't vote you know what i mean whereas like yes it's more complicated to be a feminist in 2020 because you should be intersectional and like you would actually have to be uncomfortable it's very easy to play a character in 1880s who is feminist because she wants to be a pirate king like it was a very odd quote it left a bad taste in my mouth but i will say the woman does look like she could be truly from the 1800s so like i get how she fits (laughs) 1000 percent. and nat what is your pick my remake pick is Battlestar Galactica. Uh, going full nerd here. Um, to be honest, haven't probably watched more than two episodes of the original because I tried and I was like not having it. Uh, but if you don't know the Battlestar Galactica I'm talking about is the 2004 TV series, which is based on the original series that came out in, I think, the 1970s, late 1970s. So it's an old bitch. Both series kind of have the same premise if we're talking remake. They have some of the few, like have like a couple of the few main characters that are the same too, but some of the sexes are different. So like there's the Adamas, there's Gaius Beltar, and I think Starbuck is the same, but Starbuck's female in the new version. 
but both shows are generally about human civilization has settled in a distant part of the universe to a group of planets called the 12 colonies because of course there's colonization in space as as it does happen with white people but they've migrated there from their home world like ages and ages ago you find out at the very beginning of the like the new series that and and also the old series that the 12 colonies have been in a long war against these cybernetic beings called cylons um they have a very distinctive look so you'll know it when you see it and they kind of look the same in both the old and new series so the Cylons basically come forward with a peace treaty, but it's all a ruse and the humans kind of fall for it. They use this human called Gaius in both the old and the new version to trick the humans and launch a massive attack on all the 12 colonies and like their like their fleets of like, what is it called? Well, like battleships. Right. Like Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> True. It's- it's in the name (laughs) it truly is and i couldn't even get to that but um they attack their like fleets of battleships or whatever um and basically eradicate almost like i think like 90 percent of the human population at that point the only survivor that you know of are is like the population i think it's like a few thousand people maybe 10 i don't know like the the ships are so huge i can't even like get a real gauge on it but like it's like a few thousand people on the actual battlestar galactica that get out of the place and it's led by commander adama who if you don't know the actor in the new version actually plays the sun in the original version (laughs) so it's like a fun little fact not a riddle like steph thinks (laughs) And so he's leading this fleet, not fleet, I guess, like, whatever, ship. And they're trying to get to the mythical 13th colony called Earth. And that's the whole series. Essentially, it's four seasons. It's very, very good. The first one, I I read a little bit about it because, obviously, I couldn't get past, like, the first two, three episodes. Because what I remember from the first first or original sorry the original series was it's all like dark and serious and shit and like this plot is very much the same but then suddenly things they just like forget about it for some reason like they're like oh yeah like almost all the humans are dead but here's a fun space casino so like (laughs) let's go gamble and it was just like yeah star wars yeah it was the 70s 80s man okay they were going off of star trek exactly like it was just like they were like yeah nothing matters anymore and i was like okay cool (laughs) I listen you tell me there's 8,000 people left one I'm celebrating okay because that's less people I got to deal with in my life time for a casino jump so the like the huge difference I find between the new show and the original one is that like even though like the like the premise is still the same the plot takes a totally different turn so they do still they are still looking for earth but in the new series it's a lot more political there's a lot more politics you talk about like for example, on this ship is like the like, I don't know, like 72nd in line to the presidency. And she's like a, an elementary school teacher and she becomes president, which was excellent. And but she also has cancer. So you talk about like her own personal struggles and how she doesn't want to tell everybody. So she's dealing with that issue. And then you got to see her politics and how she has to sort of give up on some of her ideals and stuff like that for the greater good, because, you know, now she has to deal with like these whatever 10,000 people that are left. And she's like, well, I can't just go by what my policies would be, because like, look, like we have to survive at this point, like survival is the most important thing. And then you hear things from Adama's point of view 
um, which is like more like military based, but he's also about survival, but he and the president don't get along. So like, it's definitely got the politics thing, but the weird surprise twist, which I'm not going to give like the ending obviously for, because I think it's worth watching to get to that ending is that one of the themes in the show that's recurring, I want to say spiritual thing, <laughs> which was unexpected for me because if anybody knows me, I don't really like religious-y things. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm okay with spiritually things, but, like, I was very hesitant to, like, accept this as a theme, but when you, and when you fully watch it through all the way to the end of the fourth season, it is so worth it. <laughs> like, it's just, like, a such a good twist on the show and, like, how they kind of make like even like certain people in the show they kind of like make them into fables for potential future populations is what uh what else that that i think is interesting because i so it's been a while since i've watched Battlestar galactica um but i'm also a huge fan of the the new one i think it was really good too and i enjoyed what the what the ultimate like point of the ending is you know there's definitely ideal of like cyclicalness to a certain extent so I quite like that but I wasn't a huge fan of some of the more spiritual slash religious elements that came to the end when it felt like the I I personally didn't feel like the show was leading up to that in terms of like a literal sense more of like a background of like how do you deal with your own ideas of spirituality and religion when you know the world went from being millions and millions and billions of people to now being ten thousand people on a ship and you have dwindling resources and you're looking for something that might not exist and it definitely feels like a religious fable for sure for me it didn't necessarily but from what i remember i could be wrong if i went back and watched it now maybe i wouldn't be feel i wouldn't feel the same way but that in the last season kind of came out a little bit of nowhere to me a little bit it felt like a surprise that i i didn't love even though i liked where it eventually ended up i would not have minded if that had happened differently because it, it did feel like it was like oh you didn't set me up to believe something like this could happen like, the show is so good and the ending is still really really strong it was more just there was a mysticism to the spirituality yes. i think that yeah. for me is what did not work because i didn't think in a show like Battlestar galactica which feels like very heavy sci-fi this addition of mysticism outside of the realm of what we believe to be possible that element did not work for me but the story that they pulled out of that mysticism the mm -hmm. the thing that they're getting to at the end i think is really really good and i like the idea of that it plays around a lot with the idea of like what are you ever watching? Like, like there was some goodness there. It was for me, hands down for a show that really builds up quite a bit. Like there's yeah. stuff that happens in season one that you get to season three. You're like, holy shit. That's why they did that in season exactly. one. Exactly. Like, but the anything... mysticism for me is what did not have that. Okay. So, but I, I need to talk about two, the reason. Okay. I chose the show obviously because I love the show. I love the plot, whatever, but there's two big reasons the show has influenced my life. <laughs> the first thing the show introduced me to was Bear McCreary, who, if you guys don't know, does the music. Oh my god, is this the theme of our episode? Great soundtrack. It's a great soundtracks because it should be. But Bear McCreary does so many good soundtracks. And the first one I heard by him, I think the first major thing he did was Battlestar Galactica. He 
did a couple other things, but I think they were mostly movies. And then he did Walking Dead. What, he did Outlander, of course. Outlander. Oh, guys. <laughs> love Bear McCreary. I love his soundtracks. I love every single thing. I will listen to his soundtracks day in, day out. It does not matter. Do you remember that like whole period of time where I only listened to Outlander soundtrack? And it I, was just, I remember seeing it on your Spotify. <laughs> and it was just like different versions of the Sky song. I'm not ashamed. Uh, hello. I just told you what I listened to go to bed. <laughs> um, and the second thing the show did for me was actually make me enjoy sci-fi because previous to Battlestar Galactica, I did not read sci-fi. I did not watch sci-fi. I hated it. The only exception was Star Wars and that I found it was just for like the nostalgia piece. That was it. In summary, <laughs> love Battle Battlestar Galactica, but it introduced me to Bear McCreary to the point where like I would watch his YouTube videos where he was like playing the piano, not even like no singing, nothing, whatever. I just watch him play the piano. It was fine. Obsessed. Back in like what, 2005 YouTube. It was a good time. It's just, it introduced me to so many things. Anyway, recommend it, because you know what's your pick. All right, cool. I mean, I was ready to talk about Battlestar Galactica more as well, because I have watched it, and I also enjoyed it, but that's fine. Let's, let's flip over. Let's, maybe we can get this one down. Okay, first of all, I had a very hard time, because the definitions between remake, reboot, and reimagining were all very difficult and thrown around quite a bit. Uh, so in absence of being able to pick the Paul Feig all-lady Ghostbuster movie, I ended up going with one of the few remakes, uh, American remakes, that I think is genuinely better than the British version, even though the British one has its merits as well. And that is the queerest, the American queerest folk from 2000 to 2005. So I watched the show, not when it was on the first time, because I was not even 10 years old yet, but when I was in high school, it was ending and I was watching it. And there is something about the American Queerest Folk that is just really good and interesting. Like, it has its problems. It is very much a year 2000 TV show, 1000%. But it was a look into a culture and a group of people that up until that point had only ever been side characters and did not have this kind of marketing and this much freedom to be the main characters in their own stories. And so Queer as Folk is exactly what it says. It is definitely the precursor to the L word, but it was all focused around white gay men. And so again, it's very much a product of its time in that it portrays this queer culture that is exclusively white, which we know is really not the case. Like everything that the people these did in the show were definitely influenced by black uh, queer people and black trans people in particular. But at the time it was on Logo, it was filmed in Toronto. So it's filmed predominantly on Church Street, which is always something wild to go back and watch. I think this was one of the first shows that I remember watching and being like, oh my God, I didn't know that. this place. Yeah. And it's even more now as an adult, having actually been to some of the places that are in there, like the most iconic place is definitely the Woody's, um, Woody's Bar. And they keep it, they keep it called Woody's in the show as well. And, you know, they call it Liberty Street, but it's actually just all of Church Street is where 95% of the show takes place. It's supposed to be New York? It's supposed to be Pittsburgh. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a little bit different. And the core plot 
of Queer as Folk, if there is one, is mostly around this one main character. His name is Brian Kinney. He is 30 years old. He is a very like out and proud gay man. He's very successful in his business. He is not out at work because it is still 2000. And I think even then it was not something that most people did. Um, but he is very out and proud in his personal life and he is a just big old man ho and we love him for it. What a slut. It like, it's beautiful. Um, it is odd to watch this now as an adult because as a kid, I saw nothing wrong with the fact that his main love interest and the character that we meet in the first episode, Justin is 17 years old. Now as an adult, I'm like, Justin, go away. Why? Like this man, this kid makes so many terrible decisions. He is in his like school. He wasn't in his school uniform at the time. You see him in his school uniform afterwards and it's heinous. But he goes out in like a tight white shirt and like a horrible late 90s, early 2000s Backstreet Boys fashion. And he's like hanging out on a lamppost on fucking Church Street, like trolling for some D. And he runs into 30-year-old Brian Kitty, who was like, this is a hot piece of ass. And like thinks that he's at least 18 um, and takes him home for the night. And they have... I was maybe like 16, 17 when I first watched this. So this is the first visual sex I had ever seen to this level done in a TV show. Like it is a very graphic show. They love sex. They have it constantly. And it's very like in your face about the mechanics of gay sex in particular. Like for those things, I still love about it. But like I was 16, 17 years old. I was watching things I had only ever read in fan fiction before y'all. Um <laughs> And the rest of the show is really just, oh yeah, it was a ride. Uh, this show is permanently imprinted on my brain to the point where there's a lot of calls to like bring Queer as Folk back for another season or a movie or something. A lot of people don't really like the way it ended. And there's a part of me that even though I know if you're going to do Queer as Folk, you should not bring it back. You should do it, redo it completely. Like you should have an actually diverse cast. You should have people who are gender fluid and who are trans and not just a bunch of cis white gay men. Like there's so much more to say about the queer community than there what now. Like there was all these things to say then, but you have more freedom to say them now. So you really should. So don't bring back 2005 Queer as Folk. But at the same time, if they did, I would 1000% watch it because like, Brian Kinney, the guy that plays him, I think his name is Gail Harold. I don't like the crush that I have on him just by nature of him being the character that I saw at that time in my life. You know what I mean? Like, I just was like, oh, I, I love him now. It's wild. <laughs> but now as an adult, I'm like, he was 17 years old. What were you doing? Because the rest of the plot of the show is them trying to maintain some kind of relationship. Like, a lot of other things happen. There's a big group of people in the show. There's um, about four other gay men and two lesbian women uh, who are, like, together as a couple and they're raising a baby. And, like, the show is does touch upon a lot of things. One of the main character, Michael, ends up falling in love with a man who is HIV positive. And a lot part, a, a big part of his storyline is them sort of coming to terms with that and him understanding, like, I love you and this is not this is not something that ends it for me, even at a time where an HIV sentence was still pretty dire. So a lot of that stuff is really interesting, but then it's also just like a very comedic show where like a bunch of stupid dumb shit happens. So there's, it's got a great balance. It was a really, really great show to watch then. Again, I do think it ages kind of bad. The last time I watched it was probably maybe like 10-ish years ago. So maybe in like 2012 i don't know what queer as folk would be like if 2020 me tried to watch it when even the version of me that was like 22 was like wait a minute 
he fucked a 17 year old and then he started dating him what the fuck they got they like basically get married like what I'm the like fuck is this i'm surprised that it even happened when for the time it's pretty wild and one thing about the uk version that's even weirder is that or not weirder but in the uk the age of consent is one year less and that's a big plot point like the fact that he's 17 and not 18 is an important plot point for the first episode because like all of a sudden once brian realized what happens he's like oh shit you're literally a fucking like this is not legal technically and in the uk version he i think is either he's either 15 or he's 16 but the person, the, like, Brian equivalent is, I believe, still 30. So, like, it's one of those things where, like, the older you get, the more you're like, no. And it's, it's definitely weird to go back and watch something like this now. But at the same time, Queer's Folk was so incredibly important because it is, and even now, I try to think back to how many shows have a main character who is queer. And secondly, the queerness is the plot. Like, they are in a queer community. Over 90% of all of the characters are gay. Like, it is not, a, it's not even just, like, one single gay character. It is a sea of straights. Like, no, this was about being gay. Like, this was about a lifestyle. This was about a people who you don't have representation. And even though, yes, it only represented white men, and that is also a problem, it still is the only thing I could think of that was this unabashedly queer and this unabashedly gay. And even now, some of the only ones that exist to compliment this one are still the L word and then the L word revival. Like there are nowhere near uh, as many shows there. I don't think there's anything that picked up the queer as fuck, uh, queer as folk mantle. Time. The amount of fucks in this show quite literally, I think definitely created who I am as a person today. Who would I be if I didn't see people just fucking constantly in this show? <laughs> was this HBO or what was it first? No, it was a uh, Logo slash Bravo. I think at the time it would have been Logo. I mean, if it was Bravo, think- that makes sense because I know the CEO and its relations to the Real Housewives, Andy. <laughs> um, I looked up the main actor or whatever. What's his name? Gar- Gail Harold? Gail. He was in The Secret Circle, by the way. Side note. <laughs> as the dad uh, here's the thing about oh, him so <laughs> like i said <laughs> like i said just big old crush for no reason realistically when i think back at it now i look at his face and i'm like i mean i get it you're attractive but i don't understand why i was attracted to this character but i was so attracted to it at that point that i just started following him around on the different shows that he was on so like i wa- i had already been watching desperate housewives and i had stopped i picked it back up because he joins the cast of desperate housewives at some point he's in it what a season maybe 10 episodes he got in a motorcycle accident in real life and so he had to stop being on the show and like i know all of this information because at the time i was like gail harrell man just attractive as fuck i have to follow what's going on with him (laughs) this made an impact on my life as well if that's the point of the remakes episode is the remakes that made an impact on your life queerest folk absolutely did it also like it introduced me to a piece of a city that I lived in that I didn't really know about either because at that point again I was like 15 16 I didn't go places without permission I didn't know what was out there uh so Queerest Folk you know opened up a world to me that now I'm like this is my community I love it oh and music just bringing it all back to all of us the soundtrack for Queerest Folk also excellent in particular their version of let's hear it for the boy listen to it
literally all the time. The fucking theme song that they use, excellent. Look up the Queer as Folk playlist on Spotify. It's a blast to the past. You'll feel like you're in a gay club rave. It's amazing. So, like, is... It's not this white. Is our connecting riddle... <laughs> that These are all things that changed our life. I mean, yeah, I don't it's know remix. Pride and Prejudice changed my life. <laughs> uh, it clearly did. Do you see I how just enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> I mean, you see how affected you are by it. I, okay, it, it gave changed my expectations on what a romance n- movie could be. There we go. This changed me for what like romance TV could look like because again, up until this point, everything I had seen like I had read stuff that featured queer characters before, but I never watched anything that featured queer characters in this way. And then again, like introduced me to a community I now consider myself a part of. Like that did not exist for me. So, like, this was a way of, like, oh, stuff could look like this. And since I've watched Queer as Folk, I've been consistently disappointed by, like, 90% of the things I've watched because they haven't been as gay as this was. I don't think the British one is bad by any means, but the British one had a single season. I think in a North American audience, the age of the Justin character is a lot to deal with, even though it's only one to two years different. Like, there's something about it that now as an adult, I'm like, that is striking. Whereas when I was 17, I didn't see anything wrong with this blonde twink strolling up the streets of the night at 2 a.m. and going home with this random man who is, like, clearly high. Like, I think they're drinking in the back of his car. Their first night together is wild, by the way. In addition to fucking, they, uh, Brian his ex-girlfriend like his beard from a long time ago is having his baby because he gave her his sperm to have a baby with her wife because she's a lesbian or she was bi maybe that actually is probably something that happened in the show in later seasons where they go through her sexual uh, orientation a little bit because her wife is definitely a lesbian but i think she might have been bi and there's like a whole thing where like she maybe still loves Brian a little bit and she had his kid, but she's with Melanie and Brian whoa, is whoa. 100% not into her. But then Brian didn't want to have a kid, but then he needs his kid and he's like, oh my God, I love this kid. And like, he doesn't want to be like a dad, but he is now happy to be in the kid's life, but he has to struggle with what that means for him. I remember the, like the show was, it had good parts, man. It should still be watched. It was a good show. <laughs> I'd like, I'd love to see what they would make now, like what they would have changed story-wise mm-hmm. for something for 2020 because it, pro- it like probably would have been the same but le- maybe even like toned down based on like they don't they didn't need to be when i think back to how again it, it's very white but it's very it's still very revolutionary it was to then still be at an age where like i just don't feel like there's a queer as folk equivalent particularly not in north american tv and I'm sad about it. I want, give me more, give me more queer fucking as like the main plot point. Like if you took out all of the sex in this show, you'd probably be down a whole season. Wow. It's very in your face. I'm intrigued now. And like they have an entire season three that it's about like, a, like it got obviously aggressively political, um, but it, w- it was great. There's an entire season three where there's someone running for senator. They find out that he is actually secretly gay. And then so there's the big story of like, mm. well, what do they do with this information? And like, I think it would be an even more co- interesting conversation to have in 2020 with the like idea Lady of outing. G? He's basically yeah, Lady, Lady G. Honestly, he was an old <laughs> white man with gray hair. So like, tell me that there's a difference. You can't. I think if you are willing to sit down and just watch a lot of white nonsense for a little bit, because again, there is just, I think the one black character in all of Queer as Folk is Justin's best friend, this girl, 
um and she's she's great like i loved her i wish she had more scenes i wish she was more in it but it's throughout the rest of the show that's really not there but at the end of the day you know it again it's a product of its time but i think it's worth watching even now if nothing else to see that this was made 20 years ago now at this point and it's still one of the most uh explicit and most proud of its gayness and its gay culture shows that I've ever had the pleasure of seeing and so I'd still recommend it ultimately to people with that caveat that like make it again but make it better (laughs) so that was my pick once again it was Queer as Folk the American edition mine was Battlestar Galactica Uh, mine's Pride and Prejudice 2005 version and those were the remakes that I guess Loki influenced us more than we anticipated that they did. That was one thing that we learned as we were all talking. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. While you're here, if you haven't, we recommend you check out some of our other episodes. Our most recent episode is all about uh, Million Dollar Pool House, where it's poolside picks, where we talk again about gay love stories, but these ones slightly more, uh, slightly more hidden, less, less out, less proud. Uh, that we saw in Million Dollar Beach House and a couple of different romance books. Check us on Twitter. Check us out on Instagram. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to leave us a review if you like listening to us. We would really appreciate it. And the promise that we'll make to you is that we are never again recording on a weekday evening. Thank you guys so much for listening. Bye. 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 happening <laughs> we blacked out during the pride and prejudice conversation 1000% she blacked out as she was talking and like she kept talking but I could tell when what you were saying stopped registering to yourself <laughs> what a great episode maybe this is our new trailer <laughs> <laughs>